Welcome to Leadership Secrets, where we explore the key elements of leadership, communication, and teamwork. I'm Barry Moline, and I believe everyone can lead from anywhere in an organization, no matter what their job title may be. Let's learn some leadership secrets together. Today, my guest is Jared Yellen. He's co-founder of Project 10X, which is a tech industry business accelerator. They help individuals create, innovate, and launch their tech idea into action. Welcome, Jared. Thank you for having me. So excited. I love what you're doing with this. Leadership is is my favorite topic to, to live out, um, not even necessarily to speak about, but to live out as an example for our large team and the moment we've established. So I'm an open book, Barry. Ask me anything you want, but thank you in advance for, for doing what you do, man. Great. Thank you. And, and I, I agree. It's a, it's a topic that we, you know, we all talk about and we just seldom reflect on it. And, and that's what we're going to do. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. So to start us out, Jared, describe your journey to become the, the leader of an organization. And along the way, talk about some of the few big lessons that you've learned. Yeah, so I, I really think back to like when did this whole leadership thing become so critical for me? Because it is the reason I've pulled off what I've pulled off. And when I was younger, um, I was a top athlete and uh, I was the captain of of the baseball team from um the from sophomore year to my till I graduated. So pretty early to be the captain. Um and, and the reason I was a captain was obviously I was I had the skill set, but it was really more of me being an example for the team as someone that always did the right thing regardless of who was watching. And I realized at an early age that was critical. Um, but for me, like the defining moment in my life was when I realized I could sell, um, where I could literally use words to influence people to make a buying decision. And I learned that by doing door-to-door sales um, in Manhattan and Brooklyn. I was selling credit card processing. Uh, I was 19 years old. This was the summer before my my final semester of college. And I... Uh, was kind of like, quote unquote, recruited by this company that would only pay you commission. And the ad said, most won't make it. And that to me spoke to my competitive drive. So like, well, I'm not most, I'm going to make it there. I'm going to be the number one person in the country. So I was told on the first day, you have to see a hundred doors, a hundred different businesses to get one sale. And as a really competitive person, I thought to myself, well, if I see 150 businesses, I might get two sales and no one gets two sales in a day. So that's what I did. (laughs) I really hustled uh, that first day and really that entire week. I saw on average 160 businesses every day over the course of Monday through Friday. And at the end of the week, I had a total of zero sales. And I felt like an absolute loser. I mean, I could not get anyone to say yes to my offer. And I went home that week and I thought to myself, I just don't have what it takes. Like, I'm not someone that really experienced a lot of quote unquote failure to that point. I've had a lot of challenge, but not necessarily failure. And this felt like my first moment where I literally could not do what was needed of me to get the job done. And I went in that Monday and I thought to myself, if I can't get a sale today, I'm just going to have to turn, I'm, I'm throwing in the towel. Like I just won't do sales in my life. It just won't be part of my story. And I went, I hit the fields and my territory at that time was Coney Island. So about a two-hour subway trip from Midtown. And I was ready to go. I started knocking on doors. And all of a sudden, it's about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It starts to pour. And this was this was the summer in New York City. So when it rained, it rained. And the one rule in the office was, if it rained, you had to go back to the headquarters to end the day. And it was raining too hard for me to get back. So I just ran into this little cupcake shop that was on the corner. I sat in the chair, and I felt completely in utterly disgruntled. I'm like, I don't have what it takes. I failed. I got no sales again. I'm six days in. I have to find a new gig for the summer. And as I was sitting there, there was this man standing behind the counter of this little cupcake shop in Coney Island. He said, what's wrong? And for the first time, I left my script and I became a human. And I started having a conversation with them and I shared what I was attempting to do and how everybody was saying no to me. And he said, well, it's funny that you're here because you're in the right place at the right time. I was talking with my wife this morning about how we need to start accepting credit cards. And I own this cupcake shop. I just opened it two weeks ago. And I just haven't had the chance to set up merchant processing yet. So I'm your first yes. And he signed a full boat. And a full boat was the machine and the processing. And I made $300 on that sale commission. And it felt like I made $300 million. Like I was on top of the world. I ran out of the cupcake shop, got into the subway, went back to the office. And whenever you had a sale, 
you're able to hit this gong. And I just whack the gong in celebration. But the major turning point for me is I realized why I got the sale. And it wasn't because of luck, and it wasn't because I was disgruntled and badly for me. It was the first time that I just was me. I was a human being inside of a conversation. I wasn't on script. I wasn't counting how many doors I was seeing. I was just a human that cared about him. And as a result, he cared about me. And I went into the office that Tuesday and I said to the, the manager of the office, what matters more to you, the hundred doors or the one sale? And they said, obviously the one sale, but I know where you're going with this. Others have tried, they failed, just see your hundred doors. And I'm like, but you confirming that what matters most to you is the one sale. And they said, yes. And I'm like, cool. Well, that day I went out to the field and I said, I'm just going to see 10 doors. I'm going to build meaningful relationships with these local businesses. And I did. And Barry, I got four sales that day. And I became the number one person in the whole country by the time I was done that summer. Like I was leading seminars on how to build rapport quickly, how to truly understand the needs of the business, and how to only sell someone something as if they were better off with me than without me. And if they weren't better off with me than without me, I would not sell them on the solution. So that was really the kind of the turning point for me as an entrepreneur is when I realized I could use my words to influence people to say yes. And I learned how important it was to build meaningful relationships in the sales process. So that's so interesting. Uh, you, you know, you're you're talking about this this idea of connecting with people and how valuable that is. And and in this case, it's not just having a relationship for the sake of uh, you know just a, a bilateral friendship. Uh, it's you know in business, you know, the value of connecting to increase sales. In, in your case, is there you know, I'm, I'm wondering about the question of sort of vulnerability. You know, when you were in that cupcake shop, uh, you know, you became a, a real human. You said, uh, this is what's going on in my world. You know, it's a drag. And you obviously, you know, showed your, your humanity there. Um, in, as you have these conversations, you know, across your, your life, um, you know, in, in business, let's, you know, focus on business. Is this how you approach, you know, your day to day in terms of, you know, this is what I'm bringing to work. Tell me about you. What are you bringing? You know, how do you connect with people in that way? So I realized there was, there was three things that I needed to uncover in order to influence an outcome. And those three things were, what are you most proud of? So that having the, the person that I was having a conversation with speak about their past what are you most excited about, which was them speaking about their presence? And then what's your vision for the future? And this was them speaking into the future. And once I had that information, I had everything I needed to influence the outcome of the conversation. So it really started with me asking those questions and genuinely listening for their response. What are you most proud of? What are you most excited about? What's your vision for the future? I would acknowledge, obviously, whatever they were saying. But as a result of that information, I can now speak into their listening. And if I could speak into their listening, they hear me better. And if they hear me better, as long as what I'm offering is going to enable them to be in a better place than they would without it, it's my responsibility to get them to say yes. But without that information, I'm just guessing. And I'm a data guy, so I don't guess. So I want to know that, that there is going to be something that I can offer that can serve this person. And once I hear it within their, their past, their present, and their future, there's no way they're not saying yes to me. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and in the process of doing that, uh, when you're talking about a particular product, you, you might find that they're happy with whatever the, you know, product they're using, and it may not be a good fit. But at, at a minimum, you have that quality conversation, and you're able to divulge if, uh, you know, if what you, you're talking about works, right? And, and the difference was the, the script was not that. The script was, here's the script. Like, make sure that you hit on these points. Walk in and say, we handle all the merchant processing in the area. Like, like it was it was a script. It was completely inauthentic. You could smell it. You can feel it. You can taste it. Like, they knew exactly that I had an ulterior motive. And no one wants to do business with someone that has an ulterior motive. But when you come and you're genuine, like, tell me about what you're most excited about. Tell me what you're, what you're most proud of. Tell me what you're most excited about. Tell me about your vision for the future. That's a genuine conversation. And that's something that I do in every conversation I have. So there's never, ever a communication dynamic where I don't have that information. And I'll show up to a call and somebody else might try to take the first step and say, yeah, well, well, tell me about you. I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm definitely going to do that. But first, tell me, what are, you, what are you most proud of? Like, you've accomplished so many things. What's the one thing that stands out the most? And they're like, oh, no one's ever asked me that before. 
So now they're telling me what they're most proud of. And they're like, well, what are you most proud of? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to get to me in a second, but that's amazing what, you, what you're proud of. Like, I'd be proud of that too. What are you most excited about today? It sounds like you have a lot of stuff going on today. Yeah, I do. This is the thing that I'm most excited about. And then I acknowledge it really quickly. I'm like, listen, I'm going to talk about me in a moment, but, but tell me like, what's left? Like, you've accomplished so much in your, from your past to what you're working on today. What's left? What's your vision for the future? Once I have that, that information, I can then speak into their listening. And I tell my story, but I'll double down on the parts of the story that I know are going to interest them and excite them the most. That's a great framework. And, you know, ultimately, it's not, you're not manipulating. You're just driving the conversation so that you're actually learning about another person. I mean, I think some people can see or, or may believe that using a framework like that uh, is pure manipulation. But more than anything, it allows you to get to know somebody quickly. I mean, you said get to know somebody quickly early on. And if you don't do those things, you're floundering. Uh, you know, even just in a, it's in, a, in service any kind of, of the relationship, though, right? Yeah, so, like, right. when somebody gets on a thirty-minute call or a sixty-minute call with a with an entrepreneur, that's time that they're never going to have back again, like ever. Like that's the most precious, precious asset in every one of our lives is time. So it's it's my responsibility to ensure that time is used most wisely. And the only way that I can ensure that it's used most wisely is if I have information about the other party to see if I can support them. And no matter what, I'll be able to help them, whether it's through a connection or me selling them something or offering them to invest or partner or whatever that looks like. So that's just the responsibility. Somebody has to take the lead. The majority of calls are a big waste of time because no one takes the lead. So I just take the lead always. And in all scenarios, people are like, that call was invigorating. That was so exciting. Like, thank you for driving that. I can't believe we got to that outcome in 30 minutes. And it's only manipulation if you're selling somebody something that they don't need. But if someone's better off with you than without you, it's your moral responsibility to ensure that they say yes to you. Like moral responsibility. And the only way you're going to know that they're better off with you than without you is if you understand their past, their present, and their future. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you for providing that, that framework. I think that'll help a lot of people understand that it's, uh, it's easy to get to know somebody if you just take the initiative. Uh, so... So being a CEO means that you're responsible for a lot of things that include your product, your service, your customers, your staff, even your community, you know, your community of, in your case, entrepreneurs or even uh, the community where you live. I I call it the leader's awesome responsibility. How would you describe your awesome responsibility in terms of all those things that you, you know, are under your umbrella? Yeah, I, I, the responsibility to me is the, the ultimate joy. Um, I, I was having a conversation a couple months ago with my, with my mom. He said to me, how will you know when you've made it? Because Project 10K has an extraordinary moonshot, which is to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. And in our first year, we were able to co-found well over 130 companies, which is actually more remarkable than 10,000 in 10 years, because this was, this was our year to figure all of this out. We own a company in India that has a couple hundred employees now. We have a large company in the US and in Canada. And in one year, we went from three people to a few hundred employees, like really fast acceleration. And she said to me, how will you know when you made it? And I said, I'll know when I made it when no one even knows I started it. And I mean that. I am doing this to up-level the 10,000 co-founders we have in our ecosystem, our entire team, the people that are investing in individual companies, the people that are investing in Project 10K, all of our strategic alliances, and all of our end users as well. And to me, leadership is a massive responsibility. And when you're called to do something as significant as this, which is to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years, that's bigger than any one individual. So the key is that you cause the outcome, which is many leaders are stepping up within that moonshot, co-authoring the story with you, taking ownership of the story with you, and then what we always say is together we achieve more. So leadership is an immense responsibility. I love watching our team grow and start building their own teams and almost like running their own organization within Project 10K because that's really what it takes for us to do what we're doing at the scale we're doing it at at this point. Wow. Well, uh, I'll tell you what, thinking back when you were a child, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you have a feeling that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, I always knew I, I was unemployable. Um, I <laughs> like it was just never worked. Like even in my teens, like it, it it just didn't work. So I mean, when I was 
I think I was like 10 years old. I started this this newspaper service where I literally got the entire school, like 100% of the school bought this newspaper, uh, which had quarterly editions. And we made like like $20,000 who were like 10 years old. And that was exciting. And But I mean, I was always an entrepreneur. Like I always knew that that I had to control my destiny. And, and part of it was my parents went through an extremely intense divorce um, when I was five years old. And if anybody were to ask me what was one word to define your childhood, I would have said loud. Like there was just nowhere to go for peace or serenity. And I felt very captive in their dynamic. And I realized early on that what mattered more to me than anything else was freedom. And the only way that I could see myself having the type of, of freedom and lifestyle that mattered to me was for me to control my outcomes and my destiny. And that's why entrepreneurship was just always the path that I took. So like I said before, I was a very good athlete. So there was a part of me that thought that was going to be the route. Um, but I remember when I was young, I realized most of these athletes are retiring in their, in their 30s. And many of them don't even really know what to do at that point. And they make some really poor decisions because they don't know what their next step is. And I'm like, entrepreneurship is something you can do forever. Like there's, there's no, like I could be, I could start a, a, a unicorn company, a billion dollar company in my 80s. Like as long as my mind works, I'm unstoppable. And that's why I just went all in on entrepreneurship. I knew there was the longest game was this game. And that's also where I can impact the most lives as well. So that's fascinating that you knew that at an early age. I think uh, the vast majority of people uh, just expect that they'll get a job working for the man and whatever that means. Uh, you know, maybe one day they'll rise to become, you know, a senior person in a company. And I think a lot fewer people, you know, think early on or, or recognize early on that they can just do it themselves. And, and I'm wondering what you, uh, you know, if you come across that dichotomy, you know, the type of person who's an ideas person who can get the ball rolling and get companies started uh, versus the kind of person who likes to fit in that, in that company slot uh, to, you know, just be part of, you know, be a spoke in the wheel. Um, do, is there a, like a, a, a certain type of a personality? I'm not really sure what, what the question is, but, but I think you have a feel for, for what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, is there a, um, you know, a kind of person that you see, this is the kind of person that can be an entrepreneur versus somebody who just has that corporate mentality? Yeah. So, so I talk about this often and I used to lecture at, at undergraduate colleges to like entrepreneurship programs because that became now it's like a real thing but like years ago it was kind of this like budding concept and what i would tell these young people was there's there's really two characteristics slash skills because i believe you can exercise this muscle um to make it as an entrepreneur so one of them is you have to be willing to endure pain and the second is you have to be naive enough to think you can um, and without those two things, obviously you need the right idea and the right team and the right funding. There's, there's more than just that. But without those two foundational elements, you really just can't make it as an entrepreneur. It doesn't mean you can't be entrepreneurial. It doesn't mean that you can't join a company like Project 10K, which I would say is maybe the most entrepreneurial company in the world because we're literally producing entrepreneurs. It doesn't mean that there's not a role for you, but it doesn't mean that you're going to start it. Because being a starter, the catalyst of anything, means you're somewhat crazy to think you actually can. And it's really challenging. The internal joke at the company is that Jared loves puppies. He just doesn't love dogs. And I think there's a lot of validity to that. Because for me, I'm a starter. I love taking the napkin idea and then cultivating it into a company and then making the first dollar. And once I do that, which is by far the hardest dollar to make, it's the first dollar, I do have less interest. Like I just have less interest at that point. Like once we have our first hundred or thousand or ten thousand users, whatever the number is, wherever that milestone is, I lose interest. But that's where many people on my team actually gain interest, and they're very entrepreneurial. They're not the ones that are going to be the catalyst for the idea on a piece of paper, but they are the ones that could take something that's just kind of getting going and building momentum and begin to really accelerate it further. So it's just self awareness is everything. It's knowing where you fit in the journey. 
of a company. And if you're really good at starting like me, then that's what you need to do. And if you're really good at being told what to do, then you get involved at a later stage. And if you're somewhere in between, and that's the role that you take. But it all comes down to self-awareness, and it's very important to pick the career path that allows you to shine, that allows your flame to be seen. Have you heard of this, uh, I don't know if I call it a philosophy, I'm I'm sure it's a quote, but it's something like, uh, you know, the majority of people quit, you know, uh, after they've gone 97 yards, you know, they quit on the three yard line just before they're about to get into the end zone. And it's, it's a, it's a reflection on how hard people work and then they, you know, but they come up against roadblock after roadblock, sort of like your early experience, um, you know, with the credit card machines and, but they give up. And is that, uh, you know, an experience that's, that you've, uh, well, you know, maybe you've had, but you see in other people where they've gotten so far and then they just lose steam? Yeah, I mean, all the time. I think it's, it, it's, the, it's the reason I launched Proud 10K was because I believe that, I don't believe I know, that the vast majority of potential resides in the graveyard because people just don't realize it during their time on Earth. And what that potential looks like are ideas that have half started or never been started because people don't know where to go or they don't know what their next step is. And I truly believe the next era of innovation exists on the napkin right now. They are pieces of paper. They are concepts. They are wonderful human beings that see inefficiencies in industry, in country, and around the world. They are smart. They are qualified. They just don't know where to go with it. And as a result, they tend to do nothing with it. And then as a result, innovation is stifled. And some might say, that's crazy. There's so much innovation happening right now. And I don't disagree. But with all of the innovation that is transpiring, there's more inefficiency than ever before. There are certain industries that get no innovation love whatsoever, so they're super antiquated. There's certain demographics that have zero access to this innovation. And there's just so much opportunity right now to bring these early stage concepts to the market or to whatever market is most appropriate, watch them scale through having the right team and the right strategy, and then the impact and the economics then play part. And it gets really exciting really quickly. So yeah, I just stand to, to, to catch all of this potential before it ends up in the graveyard. And we're not just doing it theoretically. Like In one year, we went from this idea of build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years to co-founding over 130 companies, having hundreds of people on our team, having hundreds of investors that are investing in these individual companies, uh, building out an initiative called 100 Changemakers, which is our first time actually raising capital for Project 10K, where individual people are committing $100,000 each and a little bit of their time to support the companies inside of this ecosystem, all with the motivation of what I call the four-minute mile of entrepreneurship. Because Roger Bannister was told that running a four-minute mile was humanly and physically impossible. And many people before him tried and failed because they believed that story. Roger never got the memo. He ran the four-minute mile. As a result, every year now, even high school athletes are running the four-minute mile. Thousands of people every year are able to accomplish a four-minute mile because one man proved it was possible. That's what we stand to do at Project 10K, to prove it's possible, that you can have an idea on a piece of paper. You could be non-technical, but you are still the right person to bring that idea to the world. And with the right team around you and the right infrastructure, we can actualize that napkin into a company that is built, scaled, and then eventually sold. Wow, that's great. Well, let, let's turn back to you as a leader. Was there a moment when you feel like you became a leader? You know, was it when you were 10 at the newspaper? Uh, you know, it, it's not just necessarily starting up a company, but it's, it's having a role where you're bringing people together and, and uh, recognizing that you may be the catalyst to getting something done. And it's not about you. It's about, you know, it's about the bigger picture. You know, was there a moment when that sort of snapped or came into focus? There was a lot. When you're saying it, the, the, the experience that showed up the most for me was when I was, I was probably 22 years old. Um, I partnered with this gentleman that was launching kind of like a franchise within the chiropractic industry. 
And I was going to become the voice and the face of this company. And I, I was young, but I was extremely health conscious. Um, I was a natural bodybuilder when I was in college. I never competed. It was just for my own discipline. Um, but I lived that lifestyle of physically training myself, the nutritional element, the mind space element. So like, I, I was extraordinarily strong. My physique was off the charts. And I'm still as disciplined. I just don't lift as heavy weight. Um, but I was very active in the health industry. So as a result, I got recruited to start this company uh, with this gentleman. And it became a huge success very quickly. And I was at a conference in um, upstate New York. And there was probably about 300 chiropractors in the room. And it was, it was this personal development experience for chiropractors. And it was, it was very emotional for these, these practitioners. And as a result, people were extraordinarily vulnerable. They felt very safe. They were opening up to each other. And I was standing online getting food. And this woman was standing behind me. And for some reason, she just felt the need to open up to me. Realized I'm 22 years old. She's probably in her mid-30s. And what she shared with me was that her young daughter, who I think at the time was like four years old, um, was raped by her husband. Um, and the daughter was too young to testify for herself. She was in business with her husband. They still had to live in the same home because there was nothing that they could do because if she were to just take her daughter, she'd be kidnapping the daughter and then she could go to jail. And she was just in this crazy quandary. And for some reason, this 22-year-old young dude says, I can help you. And I don't even know where that came from, Barry. But like my intuition kicked in and I'm like, I can help you. I can guide you. Let me coach you through this. And we actually set up this like very formal coaching relationship. I never coached anybody in my life. Like I was a personal trainer. I never like life coached anybody. And I wasn't even qualified to do it other than my intuition said, just step into this leadership role and help this woman navigate this really trying situation. So I did. And to make a long story short, her daughter is now in college. They have the most wonderful life. Like, and I take no credit other than I just helped her realize that she had everything she needed to create freedom from the situation. And that, to me, when you were asking the question, was a story that just showed up. Because it wasn't the traditional story of leadership where I have hundreds of people on the team and we just hit a certain milestone, we made all this money. It was me helping this woman find a leader within herself so that she was able to navigate this really challenging situation to reach the other side of it where now she has freedom and happiness and abundance and the life that she always dreamed of. Um, and I have many other stories where I realized early, early in life that I had this unique ability, that was just one that really made a difference in my world. Well, it, it sounds like there's a, you know, a strong element there in your leadership philosophy of you know meeting people where they are, connecting with them, doing, it's not necessarily helping them in their time of need, which was, this was an incredible story, but, it, but, but wherever they are, uh, and, and, seeing you know what kind of relationship what kind of help you can you can offer so it, would you say that's uh, you know a big part of your leadership philosophy yeah so i, I, have, a, I have a friend named carl krumacher he's a dear friend of mine very successful entrepreneur and coincidentally this morning he texted me and he said um if you had to define leadership in one sentence what would it be and i'm like that's so funny i'm gonna be talking to barry this afternoon and i said it's do the right thing regardless of who's watching um that's the key uh much of the of the, we'll call it personal and professional development industry, definitely the political industry, um, is only do the right thing when people are watching. And that's the reason why we're in the, the crazy situation that we exist today, where there's just, there is such poor leadership at the helm. And I'm not getting political in this, but there's just such poor leadership. And it's because the right thing is only done when everyone's watching, but everybody's only watching for a snippet at a time. So what really has to happen is the right thing has to be done when no one's watching. And that doesn't exist. And I realized this too. I used to run a marketing agency that would work with really prominent thought leaders. And I got to know some of these thought leaders extremely well. And what I realized was if you go into the kitchen of an extremely fancy restaurant, you're probably never going to go back to that restaurant because you just like see things behind the scenes. You're like, no, that can't be. Like, this is, this is a five star restaurant on Fifth Avenue in New York City. Like, that just can't be. I can't imagine going back. Well, that's what I what I encountered with many of the thought leaders that I used to support, where like behind the scenes, they were such a contradiction to the message they were sharing with the world. And it just irked me to my core. Listen, I'm far from perfect, but I'm far from perfect on center stage and behind the scenes. Like I'm just consistently far from perfect. And I'm also very consistent where I will do the right thing, regardless of who's watching. And because of that, it just sets a standard for those around you. And I'm it's a non-negotiable for me. Like one of the one of our, our we call it our code, um, but it, people will call it core values for Project 10K. 
is radical transparency. And radical transparency is what allows our co-founders to trust our team, our team to trust our co-founders, our investors to trust the decisions that they're making, because we're just radically transparent. We don't just talk about the things that are wonderful and working. We equally discuss the things that aren't working, because our rule is we can never go to bed angry with one another. And that's obviously one of the rules of having a, a successful, intimate relationship. For some reason, it doesn't transfer over into business, but we're deploying that. And that's just an example of, of do the right thing regardless of who's watching. Yeah, that's great. Well, let, let's turn to the perspective of employees. Uh, what do you think are some of the key skills that employees today need to be successful? Now, we're not necessarily talking about entrepreneurs, although the people that you work with have to have that entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, still, you know, what kind of things do employees need to do today you know, in this environment? Uh, you know, it, and, it, and it's a uh, there's so many things about the environment today, the work environment today, recognizing uh, you know, the influence of media, um, social media. Uh, there, there's just the world is so much different from when you were growing up. But still, what do those employees need to, to focus on in the workplace? So this is going to be like really contrarian, because, but like, this is what I look for. Um, and what I look for are employees that don't feel the need to ask for permission. And they're willing to just try and test and be honest with themselves with what works and to double down if it does work and to abandon things that don't work. Because we move really quickly. Like one of our core tenants is that one week is one year. And that's because we get a, and what we get done in one week is what most organizations would get done in one year. And our secret is we never second guess ourselves. We never ask for permission, ever. So second guessing usually will lead to, to triple guessing and quadruple guessing. And most people will think about something at least 19 times before they've made one decision, whereas we just make 19 decisions. And even if all 19 decisions are wrong, we are still exponentially outpacing the party that made no decisions. And also asking for permission is another thing that slows down processes. Because if you feel the need to ask for permission for everything, it's going to just take time to get the response. So our rule is if you ask for permission, the answer is always no. So if you want to hear no, ask for permission, but otherwise just do it because there's nothing anyone could do, especially if you hire the right way, that's going to be fatal. And even if it doesn't work, it's going to allow them to learn. And that's the only way they can get better is by trying, not getting the outcome they're looking for, tweaking, pivoting, and then eventually figuring it out. So I know that's contrarian and most companies would say, no, ask for permission for everything. I just want no one to ask permission for anything ever because we're going too quickly. Other than that is an insatiable desire to learn. I really believe that employees need to commit to gaining the edge. And that doesn't mean by pushing others down, just because by getting so darn good at what you do, that you just have the edge. You build a moat around you that no one else can conquer because you're just so damn good at what you do. And that's a commitment to your own personal and professional development. I believe employees should commit heavily to their health and live a lifestyle where 100% of their time, they're committed to their health. And that means they're going to the gym every day or yoga or whatever they're doing to move their body every day. They're eating very nutritious foods. They're listening to personal development. They need to commit to their health because them committing to their health is going to bring a different energy and focus to the workplace. It's going to create the moat between them and everybody else around them that's not committing to their health. If they never ask for permission, now they're getting way further into the future. And in addition to that, if they never second guess themselves, they also have more of a moat. So these are just the things that I encourage everybody to embrace Within our company, they do, because this is part of our code, which is our core values, um, and it works. I mean, in one year, we co-founded over 130 tech companies in one, in one year. In one year, we went from me walking on a beach in Westport, Connecticut, where I used to live, to having a few hundred employees tackling a moonshot that has attention from politicians, athletes, and celebrities, major like A-list influencers that are investing and supporting what we're doing. And I'm not sharing it to those. I'm sharing it because this just works. Like this cultural shift from what once was to what is today is attracting the right talent that is executing at a very high level. Wow, that's great. So you must have a strategic direction for the organization. Um, how important do you think sharing that is to your employees? Uh, and how important is it, is it to them understand that direction you know in their day-to-day -day work we remind them every day <laughs> every day we have our code our code is um most businesses would call this their their core values 
we call it our code. It's, 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 it's deeper than core values. I could speak about this for, for, for hours. Um, but, um, our code is an acronym for the word, uh, together. And, uh, we believe that, that together we achieve more. Um, this is, it's not just hokey pokiness. It, it truly is how we've accomplished what we've accomplished is, is through that paradigm. And every day there's, there are various team meetings that happen over the course of the day. And the team goes through at least one of our codes because together is an acronym. Um, and they discuss it every day. And that's the strategic direction because all roads lead to this one outcome, which is build, scale, sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years. So what our code stands for is together. And what together actually represents is the T is take 100% responsibility. The O is overcommit and overdeliver. The G is go all in. The E is energy matters. The T is timing is of the essence. The H is help is required. The E is everything is possible. And then the D is radical transparency. So this is driven home every day. We have every person on our team, plus all of our co-founders, plus all of our investors, plus all of our strategic alliances, they sign a 12-page document where they're honoring the code. And the code is how we communicate with each other to ensure that we're always in alignment. So that, for example, because realize we have co-founder relationships with our companies. So that means it's partnership. It's not client vendor. So if someone on our team says, hey, we're going to deliver a blog post to you on Tuesday of next week, let's just use that as a basic example, and they don't deliver, the, our co-founder says, hey, Bob, timing is of the essence. That's all they have to say. And Bob knows he signed our code. You're right, and he'll make sure that that block is delivered on Tuesday of that next week. We also say overcommit and overdeliver. So most do the exact opposite. Let's undercommit and then overdeliver and really surprising the light. I'm like, no, our commitment should make us sweat, and what we actually deliver should be like a release. Like we did it. Like we have to overcommit if we're going to build, scale, and sell 10,000 tech companies in 10 years. That's an unreasonable outcome. That's completely and utterly unreasonable. There's nothing that we can do within reason. To produce an unreasonable outcome, please take unreasonable action to produce an unreasonable outcome. But what we will never do is compromise what we define as our all. So for me, my all is my family. I have two young children. I'm happily married. We have a wonderful life. At five o'clock every day, my phone is hidden until my kids go to sleep. And that will always be the case. It's a non negotiable for me. So as much as we're going after the moonshot, it's not like we're going to get there and our families are going to despise us and not know us. So it's about defining your all, your code drives you, and it also forms a communication between everybody on our team and all of our founders. And there's a lot of people at play here. This is the communication pattern that, that allows us to get to the outcome. So that's, that's really fantastic that you have, that your strategic direction is so front and center. I have to admit to you that when you said you have this acronym together, I was hesitant to ask you what it means because i thought well i don't know if jared has you know his little script in front of him i'm not sure if maybe it's on a wall somewhere but you just went into it and you had it in your mind top of mind and and then <laughs> was able to to extrapolate on the elements of it and what it means every day it's memorized you know, though barry everybody everybody so there's there's like pages you're living it you're living they don't they don't so they don't have to memorize the pages but everybody within 30 days of joining the company they have to memorize the together part like and they do and, it, and it's not for me it's for them like their life is better together like so like they're better parents they're better significant others they're better friends they're, they're better to themselves when they operate together and so it's not for me ever. And, if I, and, and we tell them from the start, like, don't remember this, memorize this for us. Like, memorize this for yourself. Like, your life will improve when this spills over. And it's not just for your time here at Project 10K. Like, watch every relationship in your life accelerate. And those that aren't meant to be present, eliminate so that you can have it all. Because it's not about us. Like, we're just a piece of the, of the pie. But they all, everybody memorizes it. Within 30 days of starting, that's when they have to memorize it. Wow, that's great. Well, how do you approach tough decisions? Is there a process that you use uh, in terms of uh, like, you know, you know, something's in front of you and, and you may see, you know, a few options, but how do you get to some final decision? Just commit. So I, I, I have this whole premise of just commit and figure out the details later. You have to make a decision really quickly. And this goes back to the second guessing and triple guessing and quadruple guessing. And we just go. Like we just go, we commit, 
when it works, that's great. When it doesn't, that's great because just committing to action is what's needed to solve a problem or create an opportunity. So when I was walking on the beach in Westport, Connecticut, and I felt this calling, which was build, scale, sell 10,000 tech companies over the next 10 years, if I had to figure out all of the details before committing, I still wouldn't have committed. So instead, I just committed. And all that I have to do is outpace where I'm at. So I'm always at least one detail ahead. And that's it. So in a trying situation, the same premise. Let's commit to a solution. Let's commit right now. Okay. Do you believe that's going to work? Let's try that. Let's go. Within 24 hours, let's see if that works. Didn't work? Okay. What's the next thing we could test? What's the next thing we could test? What's the next thing we could test? And we just keep on testing really quick because that usually will solve every single challenge. Just the fact of you getting out of your current circumstance. Well, in that response, you you talked about we and you talked about let's. How much of the decision-making process focuses on bringing people together and, and talking about options and how much is it just you yourself? It, it kind of depends on the, on the area. So like my, my primary responsibility is to bring attention to Project 10K. So attention looks like entrepreneurs submitting their ideas. It looks like investors investing in individual ideas. It looks like we have this, this um, model we built called our ecosystem for exit which is big tech companies and private equity firms that want to acquire tech companies. So it's getting attention in that domain. So my focus is attention, media, everything, whatever's going to bring us attention, because that supports everybody involved. Within each division, there's challenges every single day. And people are empowered to make the call. And I'm always here. They can't ask me for permission, but they can't ask me for advice or for help. But they can't ask me for permission. So if, if they are stuck, they will ask, and then we will very quickly take action. But I've conditioned people to just take action. Like, just take action. If it doesn't feel right, it's not right. Like, like even if it's a human being, it's like, this person just doesn't really feel right on the team, then they're just not right. Like, does not mean that they're a bad person? They're just not right. Well, let's, 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 let's give them back their freedom. Let's, let's, let's write them a great letter of recommendation if you feel that they are great, they're just not great for us. But let's get them out of here. There's no, there's no space for the wrong people when we're trying to do something that's so unreasonable to begin with. But everybody's empowered to make their own decisions. They just can't ask for permission. They can ask for help, but they definitely can ask for permission. Yeah, that's, that's great. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about you, some lightning round type questions. Go what do it. you do outside of work that helps clear your mind? I play with my kids. So Taylor is um, five years old and Riker is three, and uh, I can't get enough of it. It is the most joy and fun I, I when I was 20 years old, I knew eventually I was going to become a dad. And most 20-year-olds are not thinking about becoming a father unless they are actually going to become a father. And for me, it all stemmed back to me reflecting on my parents' divorce and how trying that was. And when I was 20, I made a commitment, which was by the time I'm a dad, I'm going to have complete and utter freedom. And I just defined what I meant by that. And then I executed very quickly. And entrepreneurship was my path to cause that. And now that I am a dad, I don't take a minute of that for granted because I know they're going to grow up very quickly. So that is my joy. I'm also really passionate about health. So I, I exercise every day. Um, and uh, those, are the, those are the two things that really provide me with even more energy and clarity. When do you do your exercise? Um, at, at, at five in the morning. So I wake up at four and I have a routine, but at five, I'm in the gym uh, every day. Yeah, that's great. And sometimes I think people make excuses for not being active because they just can't find the time. And you're obviously getting up early to go do that. Um, I don't know. I, I hear that a lot from people who just say, yeah, I ought to exercise more, but I just don't have the time. And you, you just have to make the time you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. We, we tell ourselves these stories, right? And then we justify the story and we say it often enough so it becomes our reality. But all that it is is just a story. Um, and, and, and there's this whole concept, and we talk about this a lot with our founders, which is you can take two different paths in life. You can do the easy, hard path or the hard, easy path. Most people choose the easy, hard path. And the easy, hard path is, I don't have enough time for exercise. That's easy, right? That means I can sleep in, I can take my time. But like when you're in your 50s and your 60s, life gets really difficult because you didn't make the health choices early on. So life is like progressively more challenging. But you can do your heart on the other side, which is like I'm committing right now to waking up at four o'clock every day. I'm exercising at five and I'm going to do my heart on the front end. 
And when everybody else in their 50s and 60s has has ailments and aches and challenges, like I am vital and vibrant and and that's everything now. Like that's your career, that's your relationships, that's your discipline around anything. You got to pick your heart. It's going to either be today or it's going to be in the future. And I just rather have a much easier future. And that's why I commit to my heart um, at this point in my life. I have never heard that philosophy and that is great. It is so true. So yeah, thanks for for clarifying that. I'm going to share that with people. Um, So do you have a favorite uh, book, movie, podcast, song, sports team, anything that, you know, that is a complete diversion that you like that, uh, that focus your attention somewhere else? So I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's funny. People ask me all the time, like I, I'm so insulated, like because that's what motivates me. I'm self motivated. I, I don't read the way that people think that I would. Um, I don't really listen to a lot of stuff. Like I love to write, so that that is my diversion. Um, and I write every day. So every day for at least thirty minutes, I write, whether it's content for social media or blog posts or articles, and so that that is my my outlet. But I don't I don't really take in that. Like it's more about me just observing and thinking, and then I write, and that's like my outlet, and it really creates clarity for me. So I produce a ton. I just don't necessarily take in that much um, with regards to content. But uh, yeah, that's my that's my outlet is is my writing. All right. How about favorite food or foods? Yeah, I love. So we, uh, my, my wife and I, are, are both foodies. Really, very health conscious foods. Um, but we love to try all different types of foods from Ethiopian to all different types of ethnicities. So we're always trying different restaurants. My head of video production, his name is Art. He's the, the magician behind the camera that shoots all the content. Um, we do an ethnic day once a month uh, where we go out into Miami and we, we pick all these different ethnic restaurants and try different types of foods. So yeah, I'm always up for for uh, for uh, for any any new stuff in the space of food, but predominantly everything is very healthy. Yeah, that's great. And it's great that you're trying so many different things. That's wonderful. Um, so last last two questions are both about advice. Um, one is, what's some good advice you've received in your life? And then the second question is, what's advice that you would give to somebody just starting out in their career? So, so what's some good advice you've received in your life? So one of my dear friends, his name is John Butcher. Um, he he's the majority shareholder of a company called Precious Moments, which is those little angel figurines that um, they get sold through Hallmark. So he's a really interesting story because he grew up on food stamps. His father was this aspiring artist and also an addict. He would draw these little angel figurines. And one day somebody <laughs> said to him, these figurines are amazing. You should do something with them. To make a long story short, he licensed his art to Hallmark, and they went from food stamps to multi-hundred millionaires, like literally overnight. Um, and that was remarkable. But what was more remarkable about John is his lifestyle. Um, probably about 20 years, like 15 years ago, he had a, a gentleman approach him and say, how do you have it all? Like you have the relationship with your wife and the kids and his home is, was, is he sold it recently, the, the most majestic home I've ever seen in my entire life. And they travel for six months a year where they go to all different countries and they literally live there. They put their kids in school there. And he goes, how did you have this life? And John said, I have, I have a life book. He goes, what do you mean you have a life book? And he said, yeah, I have a book. It's called my life book. And it's this little black book and there's 12 chapters. And, and I define what I want for my life within these 12 chapters. And this guy said, John, we have to mainstream this. Like this will change the world. And he's like, what does that look like? He's like, I don't know, let's let's do four-day seminars where you help people write the book of their life. So he invited people over to his home and did their first life book experience. And it was earth-shattering for the people that came. So he ended up buying this lounge in downtown Chicago. And he started hosting these, these very high-end personal development experiences. And I went with my wife, but at the time we were engaged, to see if our book was aligned. Like, is our book aligned where we're going to be co-authoring a story together or is it misaligned and we shouldn't even take this next step? And we went through this experience. It was absolutely amazing. I got became really good friends with John. And he told me this, this he made this point, which held true then, but it holds true now as well, which was, you were, I was probably like 23 when I met him. And he goes, you were at the most precious time of your life. And you need to make sure 
that whatever you're doing right now is the most optimal thing for you to do because you're never going to have this decade back where you don't have any real responsibility yet except for you and your fiance. This is your chance. And I realized that was true, but that's always the case. Like we only have this minute and then the minute's gone forever. And this day and the day is gone forever. And this decade and the day and the decade's gone forever. And it's just so important that we commit at all times to pursuing the highest and best use of ourselves. And that was the lesson that he shared with me. And that's also a lesson I share with tons of people, which is right now, is this the highest and best use of you? Like right now, like what you're pursuing. Because we have entrepreneurs from around the world that pitch us their tech ideas. And for the, the vast majority, our ideas on a nap. And we'll often say, we don't believe that idea is viable. And the entrepreneur will, like, will battle us. Like, no, it's viable. It's going to change the world. And then I ask that question. Let's pretend we say yes and we do this for the next five years. Is this the highest and best use of you? Or is there another idea that you should pursue? And that's when they're like, you're right. This is not the highest and best use of me, but this one is. And then that idea typically is the one we end up pursuing because that's really what they're uniquely qualified to do. Wow, that, that's really great. Uh, yeah, live in the moment. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how many people really focus on that. We're always thinking about, something else that happened and or maybe tomorrow i'll i'll fix it tomorrow but yeah focus on right now and making right now your highest and best use so somebody is just starting out in their career what's some good advice that you would give to them go to somewhere that is going to lead to radical expansion like don't just go and do the mundane and take the entry-level job that's part of this very large company where you're just like one of many, like pursue something that's going to lead to just expansion and growth and, and pushing you outside your comfort zone. And if you, if you can try to travel and go live somewhere that you would have never lived because you have almost no responsibility other than yourself and go pursue a career in a city you've never lived or in a country you never lived, like use this time to expose yourself, open up your horizon and experience things that you never deemed possible because there's never a time like that when you have no responsibility but you and don't let limiting beliefs hold you back from pursuing those really unique experiences jared i really enjoyed uh, our time together this has been a unique uh, conversation you've just spent so much great experience and perspective thank you so much oh it's my pleasure once again what you're doing barry is, is awesome I applaud you for, uh, for committing to this, and I'm excited to support you in any way that I can. Thank you again. Thanks to Jared Yellen for being our guest today, and thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch, or if you know someone you think would be a great guest on the show, send me an email at bmolene at cmua.org. And please leave a five-star review which helps others find their way to Leadership Secrets.